Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone here. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a first-time visitor or a long-time member or someone that worships here on a regular basis. Grab that pew pad at the end of the aisle, complete the information therein, and then pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. Just a few announcements to share with you this morning. Uh, first, we have a little bit of a boo-boo in the, in the bulletin. Toby McAllister's memorial reception is going to be from 3 to 5. It's not at 1. The 1 o'clock uh, time is just the private interment of his ashes. So if you do want to make it for uh, uh, to see the McAllister family, uh, be here at the church from 3 to 5 this coming Saturday. Also, we hope that you'll pay attention to the fact that we're selling those tulips for Easter Sunday morning. Uh, so if you'd like to buy one of those, each of those plants is $12. You can do that in honor or in memory of someone. If you know a high school senior, we have a scholarship that's available. You can talk to Holly about that. The deadline for applying for that scholarship is April 30th. And we're going to have a confirmation class that begins on April 19th. That's going to be for anybody uh, middle school and above who has not yet been confirmed. Uh, we'd like to keep it just for the kids, actually. So not, no adults in this class. We'll do a new members class sometime later this summer. Uh, we also are going to hear again from Jack Rogers uh, about our um, ministry offering that we're taking up. So without further ado, a minute for mission from Jack. It's basically a reminder that the one great hour of sharing, um, we're going to collect for that, I guess, through April, but it, we're going to start the collection part of it on Easter. This is a great time to be a participant in a worldwide education program. It's making the world a little smarter and a little more caring. So I appreciate everything you can do. Again, the one great hour sharing offering is something that multiple denominations uh, across the globe uh, collect for. We consider those to be the mainline denominations. You may have heard that terminology before, and that's a really cute little thing that happened because the churches that were on the main line in Philadelphia uh, were the churches that got the name the mainline churches. And so that's the Evangelical Lutherans, the Presbyterian Church USA, American Baptist Church USA, the United Methodist Church. Uh, so those churches are the mainline churches. That's who basically who collects the one great hour of sharing uh, each year. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 130. Please join me. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of supplications. But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. My soul waits in the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Israel, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is great power to redeem. It is He who redeemed Israel from all Come, let us worship the Triune God. Please rise if you are able for our opening hymn. O sacred heart now wounded.
And now the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. This is true repentance, sincerely turning to God and all good and earnestly turning away from the devil and all evil. Therefore, let us now corporately offer our confession of sin. Please join me. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the ages of the world, our hearts may surely be, be fixed where yours are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from our Old Testament. See, I have set your sins as far away as the east is from the west. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that he has separated us from our sins, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace and pray also for me a sinner. Amen. You may be seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many bones lying in the valley, and they were very dry. <clears throat> he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, Suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, 
and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from the graves, O my people. I will put spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of our Lord. may be seated, and at this time I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon. Okay, today we're going to talk about something that makes us sad. So, what has ever made you sad? School. School. Okay. It's rough being in school, isn't it? Friends make you sad. Sisters make you sad, I'm picking up on. Yes, okay. There's a nice little hint there. I like that. What else makes us sad? How many of you have ever... When someone dies, yes, that's sad, right? How many of you have ever fallen down and skinned your knee? Right? Has that ever made you cry before? Yeah. Like, have you ever wrecked your bike so badly that you've cried? Yes, right? Okay. There's some things like that hurt, right? Pain is not fun, is it? Oh, I mean, how many of you enjoy pain? How many of you would just love to be in pain the rest of your life? No, you don't want that, right? Why? Because pain makes us sad, and it makes us grumpy, and it makes us moody, and it's just not fun, right? And, and so we're going to read a story about a time when Jesus was sad. Now, what can you imagine would make Jesus sad? A friend dying, right? So this is a story of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the entire Bible. We're going to all learn a memory verse today, okay? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. But it's so profound because Jesus, our Lord, cried when he found out that his friend died. And here's what's even nuttier than that, that, that Jesus, our God, could cry is Jesus cried, and then, guess what he did next? You know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So he resurrected Lazarus, just like what Mr. Buck just read and said, that God says he'll, he'll bring us up out of our graves. Jesus did that thing with Lazarus, but he still cried while Lazarus was dead. Now, I like that 
because that means when I'm sad and I cry, I'm being like Jesus. Like it's okay when we're sad to cry. But what Jesus also has taught us is that there's also something on the other side of sadness. There's joy. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us is the joy to know that even though we will die, when we die, we believe we go where? To heaven, right? And heaven is filled with the most amazing things you could ever imagine, right? It's every time you go fishing, you catch a fish in heaven, I hope, because I sure miss a lot here on earth. But I'd like to be able to catch all the fish in the world. But then you can also, like, whatever the greatest thing you could imagine would be, that's going to be there because God's place of living, that we get to live where God lives. And that's the joy of knowing that even though there's sadness in the world and it's okay to cry when we're sad, we need to look forward to the joy that's coming. Okay, so we're going to pray. We're going to thank God for all the cool stuff that he does. And we're going to thank God for sadness because it's one of the emotions that we feel. And it's a real thing. Okay, so let's pray. Dear God, you rock and we love you. And we're so glad that you taught us it's okay to cry. Thank you for that lesson. And please help us when we are sad. And please help the world when it is sad. And thank you for the promise and the joy of one day being in heaven with you. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. Once again, we're going to read almost an entire chapter in the book of John. We're going to read from John 11. Um, not quite the whole thing. We're going to stop just before uh, the end. We're going to stop in verse 45. Listen to God's holy word. Now, a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, through Jesus, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us then go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Judeans were just now trying to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see this light of the world. But those who walk in night stumble because the light is not in them. And after saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. Now the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. Now Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with Lazarus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Judeans who had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into this world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans who were with her were in the house, consoling her, and they saw Mary quickly get up and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Judeans who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Judeans said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not open the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Judeans, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what Jesus did, suddenly believed in him. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we do thank you for your story. and We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you interact with us in the form of story. And God, we ask now that you would grant us a sense of your presence in our lives, that your spirit be upon us and give us strength. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to immediately 
block off probably about 35% of you when I mention these names because you're not going to have a clue who I'm talking about, but that's okay, mainly the young people. I'm old enough uh, to have been given permission to stay up late enough to watch the Johnny Carson show when I was younger. It was, uh, I think, one of the greatest shows on earth. I'm also old enough to remember when Dana Carvey was on Saturday Night Live. And, and so Johnny Carson was so popular uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, that Dana Carvey uh, would make fun of him on Saturday Night Live. And one of the funniest things that I thought he did was when he did the skit with Carmack the Magnificent. And he said the words, weird, wild stuff. Now, Johnny Carson said that one time. Dana Carvey said it almost every time Saturday Night Live was on television, and it was just a great thing for me growing up. I loved how Johnny Carson had these amazing expressions on his face. Uh, those of you that probably have seen maybe this live when it really happened, or maybe when they uh, when it was in in repeat, but when those zookeepers would come and plop down an animal on Johnny Carson's desk, and he would just scramble like mad. Right? I mean, do you remember how intimidated he was by those animals? Johnny Carson was a Midwestern mastermind, and he had this ability to join both the East Coast and the West Coast together in beautiful downtown Burbank, which was another comedic thing that he said, because Burbank was not a downtown location, nor was it beautiful at the time. The weird, wild stuff was something that always stuck in my head. It was a catchphrase, it was a fun thing to pronounce, and it was a great way to crack a smile. Um, when something was out of kilter, my friends and I would often say, this is some weird, wild stuff, man. You'll probably even hear me say that from time to time. I don't even know that I'm saying it. It just comes out. When I think about Ezekiel 37 that Buck read today, and when I think about even John chapter 11, that's some weird, mild stuff, man. We think about this prophecy in Ezekiel 37, a symbolic of death of a nation. Now, we, we kind of miss some of the context of what's going on because we don't have everything before us, these previous 36 chapters of Ezekiel's um, story. But there's this valley of dry bones, and they've been there so long that the bones have lost all of their moisture content. They've been lifeless. They're windswept. They're eerie. A great many bones that were very, very dry. And at the time, this symbolized the exile from the people of Judah to Babylon. The prophet Ezekiel envisioned the nation of Israel as a wasteland of bones scattered across the desert valley. The cry, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we are cut off, is a cry of a helpless and lifeless people. But at the end of Ezekiel 37... We see another weird, wild thing, the coming together of old bones, flesh coming upon these bones, sinew attaching these bones, and the breath of the Spirit of God being entered into these bodies who are recently resurrected. John chapter 11, Jesus says, our friend is sick now, any of us that have ever read any part of the gospel know that typically when Jesus recognizes someone as sick, what does he do? He, he goes and heals them, but not this time. In fact, he even says God's glory is going to come through this sickness. Now, that 
that's kind of weird and wild, and that Jesus evidently knew that Lazarus was going to die. But he said, this sickness doesn't end in death, which is just weird. It's wild. Because he does die. And this is coming after the story of the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. We don't get to read John chapter 10 in this section of the lectionary. But John chapter 10 is most famous for the story of the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd does what? He calls his sheep by name. He cares for his sheep. He makes sure that they survive. He pins them in. He allows them to be safe. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. That wasn't being that he was going to be the slaughterer of the sheep. It's not a death statement. He was the Messiah. He's going to protect the sheep. And you know what? A lot of people were confused by that. And John chapter 10 tells us that many people heard Jesus preaching and they wanted to kill him. Not for saying that he was the good shepherd, but for saying the Father and I are one. Now, as an aside, any of us that have ever wondered what truly separates Jews from Christians, it's this very thing. Jesus as a rabbi, Jesus as a Jewish teacher, suddenly stopped referring to Yahweh as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God known to a people in the distant past. And Jesus started saying a radical statement. What was that radical statement? Who was God for Jesus? Starts with an F and ends with other. The Father. Jesus had the audacity to call God Father. This was kind of a radical thought. And it was blasphemous. And so that's why the Jewish leadership said, we can't allow this person to continue teaching. He's changing everything. And so in John chapter 10, after he declares to the disciples, the Jewish disciples, very Jewish crowd, that I am the good shepherd, we hear this undertone. He is also together with the Father, and so we have to kill him. Now Jesus heard this, and he says to those that are listening at the time, you should probably study the scrolls a little bit more. That didn't go over very well. And so we learn that they tried to kill him even on that day, but he escaped. Now, so we open up with John 11, and Jesus says, let's go back in. And what did his disciples say to him? Hey, they just tried to kill you. Are you ready to go back just yet? Did that feel like a weird part of the story when I read that? It was a little bit disjointed, right? Because we didn't know that having not just read chapter 10. But now we know. The reason that his disciples don't want him to go back into town, the town of Jerusalem, the town of Bethany, which is just two miles away, don't go back towards that. They just tried to kill you. Lazarus is asleep, Jesus responds. Jesus must wake him up. The disciples are thinking, if he's asleep, bro, let him sleep. Why do we have to travel in? You're going to risk your life to wake somebody up? Jesus, of course, was saying, Lazarus is dead. God has to be glorified. And then Thomas, the first time we're introduced to Thomas, who will later be known as Doubting Thomas, 
He's able to see with his eyes right now. He can see the Messiah. He sees Jesus. He recognizes this. And he says, then let's go die with Lazarus. It's really easy when your best friend, the resurrector, the best friend, the good shepherd, the best friend, the healer is with you. Let's all do this bold thing together. Mary and Martha, however, don't get to hear any part of that conversation. And so they're a little bit upset. Martha is the person that has all of this biblical knowledge. She has this great theological mind. She's a little bit upset with Jesus. I also think it's interesting that in John's Gospel, we're introduced to Mary by saying, this is the person that poured perfume on Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. But that story is not in John's Gospel at all. But that story was so well known at the time when John was writing his Gospel that he decided to include that detail in the writing. Martha goes out to confront Jesus. Mary comes to Jesus' feet. It's a different kind of approach. But both of them issue blame to Jesus. One kind of does it theologically. One kind of does it a little bit more worshipfully. Had you been here, he wouldn't have died. Can we blame God for things? We could try. We can, we can see if that works. We can see if it sticks. But we could also maybe try to start recognizing that maybe sometimes things just happen. But this is a question that all of humanity has to ask. What does God actually have the power to do? Can God make these dead, dry bones come back to life? The next section of Ezekiel's gospel is even weirder, maybe wider than the part that we read. Because the next section talks about how this prophecy from Ezekiel is going to bring together Ephraim with Judah. Now, if we don't know our story very well, that's probably something we would just likely skip over as well. But it has to hearken us back to the book of Genesis. As Jacob and his children are kind of under this oppressive famine, The brothers who were jealous of their brother Joseph had already sold him into slavery. He's in Egypt. Joseph raises himself up to power through the faith that he has in God, the God of Israel, his father Jacob. And he says, this is how we can survive this famine. And so Jacob's other sons travel to Egypt and say, can we please just live here for a while? Joseph recognizes them. Hey, this is our brother. We won't play out that whole story right now in this sermon. But when Jacob finally makes it to Egypt and he meets Joseph, his, his son that he had thought was dead for so many years, he gets to meet his two grandsons. What are their names? Ephraim and Manasseh. And when Joseph comes up and introduces these sons of his to his father, Jacob blesses him, but he crosses his arms and blesses them in a very unique way, making Ephraim a little bit better than Manasseh. Ephraim becomes one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the lineage of Joseph, the child. Uh, His child is actually blessed. Ephraim happens to be the tribe that the Assyrians took away long before the exile of the Babylonians. Ephraim is lost. We have no idea what happened to them. We know that they were sent out into the Assyrian uh, conquest, but they're gone. But in Ezekiel, God says, I will bind Israel 
Jacob and Ephraim back together. It's going to be this amazing thing that happens. There's this reunification. Everything is going to come back to the way that I want it to be. Could God have prevented Ephraim from being taken away by the Assyrians? Could God have prevented Judah, the southern kingdom, from being taken captive by the Babylonians? Absolutely. Can you prevent your children from not being grounded? Sure. That's your decision. But did they decide to do something to get grounded? Yes, that was their decision. God's just being a parent in the Old Testament. Both the northern and southern kingdoms had done things that they needed to be grounded. Sadly, that meant they had to be taken away. They were put in time out. But Jesus says in John 11, God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. Lazarus, come forth. Now, I'm a little shocked at the way this story unfolds after that. Now, the lectionary doesn't want us to read the last section of John 11, which is probably a good thing because we'd be here till 2 o'clock. <clears throat> but I encourage you to read those last several verses of John 11 sometime later today. We get to end on a high note. Those who were with Mary, who went out with her when she was crying, she went out to meet Jesus, ultimately stone rolls away, dude comes out, he's got death cloths on him, they say unbind him, unbound him from death, he's resurrected, stones rolled away, out of the cave he comes. A little bit of foreshadowing, by the way. Those Jews that had followed Mary to this tomb see this happen, and what does the Bible say? They believed. That day they believed. And we stop there because we don't like conflict. But what happens after that? Other Jews happen to be there. Other Jews that had tried to kill him the day before when he said that I and the Father are one. Other Jews look and say, he just rose somebody from the dead. We're all going to be out of a job. We're the priests. We're the leaders. How on earth are we going to keep this under control? And what do they say? We have to kill him. He's one of our own. We have to kill him. Lazarus' resurrection prompts the religious leaders to plot Jesus' death. But for Jesus, there's no other way. Because only this act of resurrection, only this act of the power of life over death, only this act of Jesus troubling and weeping over his friend, only this act of a tomb as a cave being opened up, only this act of come forth, the troubling words of Jesus' life, you may have a life, a resurrected life. Yay, Lazarus is alive. Now Jesus has to die. Jesus escapes to Ephraim. Jesus goes back to a place that has long since been void of its original inhabitants, the people from the tribe of Ephraim. And he goes there for security. And he goes there 
to prepare for his grand entry. Johnny Carson was an actor. Johnny Carson was a comedian. Johnny Carson was an entertainer, and many people followed him. He had the highest-rated television show in history at the time of his retirement. He lived in such a way that he could always provide entertainment. Do we follow Jesus because he provides for us entertainment? Jesus gives us freedom, a freedom that we will never understand. We are part of the dry bones. What within us needs to be resurrected? What within us needs to die? What about this story that we believe and we proclaim is so weird and so wild that we're not willing to tell other people about this story? What do we believe? And if you don't think that this is a weird story, when you go home today, lean your elbow on the fence and tell your neighbor, hey, this is what I learned in church today. Isn't that a cool story? Don't you believe it with me? You won't have to talk to him the rest of the summer, right? Everything that we read today from the call to worship on is a way for us to see that God's story has always been one from the beginning of death over life, of redemption over destruction. We're often told the Jesus story is the greatest story ever told. But what keeps it as a story is that so many of us who say that we believe it, A, don't really know enough about the story to understand it in its full context, and B, rarely if ever act as if we believe the story. Now, if you're like me, part of the story I like best and what I'm banking on in the eternal life is grace. Amen? Right? That's the part of the story that I understand. God died so that my sins could be forgiven. Well, should I go sin some more so that I get more grace? No. But that doesn't stop me. The fact remains that we all still have to face death ourselves. All carbon-based life forms are barreling towards death every day of our lives. <clears throat> we can live our lives in one of two ways. We can try to protect ourselves with as much bubble wrap and airbags as possible so we can prevent injury and death, or we can just say, one day, one day I will be with the Lord. And until that day comes, I will live with him on earth as he is my king and my redeemer. How we respond to this story is how we allow this story to alter our thinking and our actions and us as a witness to the resurrection to the rest of the world. In the waning days of Lent, may we all graciously approach the cross of Christ with humility, receive the grace of God through the help of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we're going to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in our life. And Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. We say all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So we come to our time of prayer this day. It's uh, good to give this little update. I uh, heard this morning from Mike. Uh, Donna is on her way home, which means that her sister's uh, second surgery this past week was successful. Um, that's a great thing to hear because there was a concern she had to be transferred from one hospital to another, but they were able to fix the leak that she had. Those of you that are on Facebook likely saw uh, the note that I had yesterday from Mark Curtis. Uh, Kathy, his wife's father, passed away in his sleep uh, on Friday night into Saturday, or Thursday night into Friday, sorry. So 
Uh, please keep them in your prayers. And then this uh, week we're going to celebrate the life of Toby McAllister, somebody that was a longtime clerk of session here. And also uh, the folks from First Presbyterian Nitro are looking forward to coming over because he was there uh, for years before he came here. I'm certain that there are other concerns that rest among you. Uh, let us lift all of our concerns to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we trust and know and believe that you are a God of life, a God of resurrection, a God of promise, a God of safety. Yet, Lord, we also know your judgment is against sin. We pray, God, that you would forgive us our sins, be patient with us as we learn to forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail to do your will. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail to see the world through your eyes. This loving embrace that we have an opportunity to, to see this world. God, we, we fail you so many times. We ask that you would be with us and walk alongside us and teach us and guide us. That your spirit be upon us and give us strength. We pray right now, Lord, for those who pray to you daily to be the great physician that you are, for those who pray for healing. We're thankful, Lord, for those who have answered the call to the ministry of healing. We pray, Lord, for those who are mourning and grieving the loss of a loved one. It's comforting, Lord, to know that you understand what it's like for a family member to die as you witnessed your son die upon the cross. We also know, Lord, that as you walked on earth, you wept when your friend died. We pray for those who are in grief. We pray, Lord, for the situations around our globe that are unexplainable. We pray for an end to wars. We pray, Lord, for the hostilities between our country and Iran and Syria to settle, between our country and China to settle, between Russia and Ukraine. We pray, Lord, for peace. We pray, Lord, for peace in a time where others gather their armaments for war. We pray for grace. We pray, Lord, for those who will literally today pray for their daily bread, and we ask that you would hear that prayer and meet their need, but also, Lord, move us to be people who are willing to meet that need as well. God, because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who sit on our right and on our left, in front of us and behind us, and in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you that you came to earth, that you showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's no such rule that says that I can't make this announcement now, but I did forget to announce that immediately following worship today, we're having a congregational meeting for the purpose of electing Adam Greathouse to the office of elder. So that's the second reading. Now we can officially meet. And now I would invite you to stand for our final hymn, hymn number 450, Be Thou My Vision. You know, it's ironic, I think, that we read so much of John's gospel just uh, prior to the crucifixion every year. It's a weird way that we include that gospel into our lectionary reading. It's also weird to me that we read so much of it at one time. I mean, if you look at the way the lectionary is kind of set up for us, it's always a huge scope of reading. But that's how John wrote his gospel. John didn't write his gospel to be segmented and dissected. He meant it to be read as one continual story. And one continual story is one that we find out at the end, after Jesus' resurrection, 
has the reclaiming of one of the greatest disciples ever, the first pope of the Catholic Church, Peter, who denied Jesus three times after his arrest, who promised that he never would do that. As close as Jesus and Lazarus must have been, Peter and Jesus were far, far closer. Yet that friend turned his back and ran. And it's really, really easy for us to look at that text with eyes of judgment and say, how? How could you deny Christ? Yet in my life, I won't give my sin to you, but in my life, I deny Christ all the time with all the opportunities that I have to serve in God's name and choose not to. The grace, however, is that God welcomed Peter to the campfire and shared his meal with him and said, upon you, I will build my church. God takes sinners and makes them saints, not what the sinner itself has done, but what God has done for and through and by the sinner. That gives us hope. Hope to enter this world we're about to enter with the bright shining news of Christ the Son. Leave this day with anticipation of how God will use you. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May He be with us all until we meet again, either here or His glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.